Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. In fellowship and worship, amen? Keep in mind what I said Sunday, just reiterate it over and over again. There's people all over this globe <clears throat> that literally would do anything to do what we're doing tonight. They would give anything to spend a few hours, a moment, 30 minutes with a brother or sister in Christ that could encourage them. It's not about religion. And it's what I said to that person yesterday when, I, when they, he said he's completely godless. He doesn't, know, doesn't believe in anything. And I said, praise God. I said, I hate religion too. And that is the thing that I disdain. This religion is dangerous, it's poisonous, and it will send you to hell faster than anything you'll ever experience. Because people that are religious don't go see Jesus one day and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. They actually hear, depart from me, you cursed one into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, as Matthew 25 reiterates. Only followers of Jesus Christ will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We will not hear it because we're righteous, because we did enough good works. We are going to stand there righteous because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. The works that we manifest in the life that we live is merely living out the love that Jesus Christ gave us first. We love because he first loved us. Remember that song, Oh, How He Loves You and Me? Oh, How He Loves You and Me? He gave his life. What more can we give? Oh, How He Loves Us? Oh. But one of those is because he loved us first. We could not love had he not loved us first. So tonight, if you have your Bibles, turn to, to 2 Samuel chapter 6. Uh, tonight, God laid this uh, sermon series. Uh, he's unveiling it to me. Gave me the first part of it tonight. But it really, <clears throat> it was birthed out of the picture of the idolatrous battle that we all have. When I say the idolatrous battle, a lot of times we just attribute, you think about when Paul went to Athens, you know, and the, the, the disciples see all of these, these idols. Remember, there was one of them that was the, there was an idol to the unknown God. Literally, they, they were just trying, they had gods everywhere. There was all these gods, and they were worshiping all forms, uh, forms and shapes. And it's a very, <clears throat> I would say, religious city. It was uh, pagan. It was everything. It was literally one big, huge a taco of anything you could imagine spiritual. And the battle with this is we, we tend to see that and we see people who will have a physical item and say, oh yeah, that's idolatry. But we don't realize that idolatry comes in so many subtle ways that are so much more destructive. Idolatry in the form of actions, attitudes, codependency. Um, you know, we, a big one in our culture is the, the sexual battle for that being the essence of the idolatrous thing and you know, eat, live, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Not thinking about tomorrow doesn't matter. And the problem with these idols is they establish themselves so incrementally. Now, you remember what I talked about with incremental compromise. Incremental compromise is by far the most dangerous compromise that you'll ever find yourself trapped in. Because when you think about incremental, what does incremental mean? In little, small increments. It's broken up. There is one objective that is broken up over a course or a period of time. 
in essence, a small picture of this, a car payment. You pay $40,000 for a car. Oh, well, they financed it for 790 months at $5 a month. You know, it wasn't that bad. No, you incrementally are going to ultimately pay. You do that, you pay a whole lot more in interest. And ultimately, though, what happens is, is incrementally you end up accomplishing a goal. What we don't realize is the enemy, as Scripture says, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So to set the stage for what God's laid on my heart with this, one of the things that God has really hit me with this year is the, the armoring that needs to occur because of the incremental compromise that ultimately leads to full, outright, and overt idolatry. That can occur, again, with relationships, can occur with money. It can occur with your retirement. It can occur with religion. One of the most dangerous idols you can ever fall victim to is religion. Oh, Brother Jonathan, we're not religious, we're Christians. So, so you know that you can come in here and you can serve Longview Baptist Church and miss walking with Christ and be an idolater under this roof, just as easy as you can be anywhere else. Because if you're here believing that you pacify the wrath of God and therefore because you are here, your mom was a pastor, your dad was a pastor, your parents were in ministry, missionaries, it doesn't matter. They didn't pay for you. Your parents' salvation experience is unique and of their self. That has nothing to do. You're not going to go to heaven one day and be put in the, uh, uh, what is that, uh, I have it, the uh, pre-pass. If I go to the airport, you know what happens? I can bypass the big long lines. I got pre-check. So I go there and it takes me two seconds to go through the pre-check line. I don't have to wait with the rest of them. But see, a lot of people get the notion that my grandfather was such a godly man and my parents and their grandparents and everybody in our history and lineage has been uh, guaranteed. Oh, you come over here to the pre-pass area, sir. We're so thankful you're home. Oh, no, 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 no. You know that a mother and father can be as godly as godly and their children, the whole entire generation subsequent, can end up splitting hell wide open. Do you know that? Yes, it can happen. The thing that we've got to recognize is the salvation experience is unique and imperative to have our own. It is not what somebody else does. The scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Each one of us has to come to the place where we recognize we're a sinner in need of a savior. That's the part that brings you to fear and trembling recognizing what you deserve. When you really realize who we are apart from Christ and what salvation is, that will bring you to trembling. It does myself because I realize the only thing that this man deserves apart from Christ Jesus is the full wrath of God that I deserve because we're born sinners. And everything about us is the proclivities of our heart, the, the predisposition, the things that we do naturally put us at enmity as enemies of God. And when you're at enmity with God, you are in essence like two of those rams you see up on the hill. They're in, they're in conflict. We are in conflict with God before the blood of Jesus Christ, which uniquely in each and every experience with each of us has to be a singular experience where we come through the spirit of God, opening our heart, allowing us to see our sinful state because until that happens, we can't even understand that we're a sinner in need of a savior. We can't even grasp the magnitude or the gravity of the situation. Only when God opens our hearts and allows us to see our sin, when he pulls, as Paul, we see on the road to Damascus, the blinders off his eyes, he blinded him, but also he was spiritually to have sight that day because he recognized his spiritual state, which was the fact that he was 
fighting against the goads. He was kicking against the will of God. God's desire was to use Paul, and you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the goads? And what did Paul do? Boom, he blinded him, sent him back into the city, and until the day that he died, there was a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ completely and utterly yielded to the will of God like not many people you see. The world would see him and say, yeah, that guy was a murderer. No, it's amazing how we see such an affinity with people when they talk about Paul. But yet at the same time, if you had a person walk in this church, and by the way, they had been a murderer, don't even know how many times they had done their time and, and they walked in this church, I bet you go, oh man, it's such an amazing thing. This person was a, was a murderer and look now, God's got them in ministry. I know for a fact, I've seen it happen before, I've heard it out of mouths. Because we had one here preach. If anybody remembers, in the very beginning, I had a convicted murderer spent over 60 years in the penitentiary, was supposed to die in the South Carolina electric chair for murdering five people. He did our first revival at Longview Baptist Church. I know for a fact, because a statement came back to me that was made, that said, I cannot believe they'd bring a murderer in to do a revival at Longview Baptist Church. And my said, I don't want to know who it is, but I want you to send this message back. They wouldn't have wanted Paul doing revival here. Amen? See, spiritually, the debt has to be paid. The debt's paid. Just because the state didn't execute him and because Paul was not put to death for killing Christians doesn't mean that he wasn't forgiven. When you've paid your debt, the debt is paid the same way that our debt has been paid in the presence of the Lord God with salvation. How dare someone bring up the past that God has separated as far as the east is from the west. Amen. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us to allow man to bring back what God has lost in the sea of forgetfulness. Don't let people bring up your past because the enemy wants to do that. But see, tonight what we're going to look at is these tricks that he wants to use, whether it's even something as simple as that, but also the overt attacks the incremental compromise that leads to idolatry. It takes on so many shapes and forms. We're going to see it over the next few weeks as we look at this. The title tonight is His Tricky Trade. The enemy's tricky trade, he's a liar, he's a deceiver. What does he do? He doesn't merely come in and say, hey, go out and take off and go enjoy this out of the other. No, he starts to question what God's word says. Did God really mean that? Does God's will and his word really mean what it says? Or, oh, this new cultural shift is, oh, no, God didn't make man on No, God just, God just wants everybody to sing kumbaya, and that's the issue. And by the way, the reason that those marriages that are against the covenantal promises of God, oh, that wasn't an issue for future times. It was then because they had population, a need to grow population. So God merely put a temporary stop on that until the population increased. Church, don't ever fall victim to that foolishness because God's not a liar. There's a few places in God's word that he talks about sin in an abomination sense, and you will find that in the sexual immorality sense, and you'll also find that when you talk about idolatry with replacing God in the rightful place that he should have, but don't ever fall into this contextualizing of scripture and saying, oh, the reason this says this is they were having trouble with this in the church back then, so it just applies to them. That actually, it brings me a special sense of anger when people say that, because what you're trying to do then, if you want this man to start doing that, you won't have a pastor, you won't have a church, because I'll explain all of it away, and I'll find the need for none of us to do any of it, amen? 
So either you follow and love God's word, or I'd encourage you to go home and pray that God would convict you and bring you to repentance so that you don't continue to sit under the authoritarian verse-by-verse exposition of God's word and the authoritarian nature with which God's word calls all of us to live under subjection to him, his will, his purpose, his desire, not mine. He never asked me. He never will. So the only thing that I can stand up here with full authority and say tonight is I trust what God's word says unequivocally. I do not doubt it. It is not uh, conflict in conflict with itself. God's word doesn't hiccup. God's word doesn't have mistakes in it. If I believed it, it did. I would walk away from all of it, church. I know that because I'm a person who has no time to play games. I realize, as a matter of fact, where I'm at in my life, I have well overlived over half of my life, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, church, I've got no time to play games with you. Amen? Eternity is a heartbeat and a breath away. And tonight, what I want to deal with is the enemy with his tricky trade who does not want us to finish strong. You know what I, when I say finish strong, you know what I mean by that? He wants us to do what scripture, when it calls us, do not, says, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due time you will receive a harvest if you, what? Do not give up. The scripture talks about the race that we're running. It says, only those who, what? The race receive the prize. Finish the race. Therefore, it is imperative that you continue to defend and contend for the faith and run that race until we know what salvation is. We right now, because I know I can speak to all of you if you're a Christian, you are in the sanctification phase, including myself. Sanctification phase begins at the time we profess faith in Jesus Christ. And he who began a good work in you, what? Will perform it till the day of Christ Jesus. So the day that we breathe our final breath, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have then transferred into the glorification stage. Salvation, sanctification, glorification. Brothers and sisters, that's my next step, and that's yours, I pray tonight. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it is without question going to be the thing that you experience if you are a true follower of Jesus Christ, having been transformed by the renewing of your mind. But trust me, tonight, the enemy wants this to be your life. He wants his tricky trade to be his business, and he wants to deceive you. He does not want you to finish strong. He does not want you to pray for those husbands and those wives and those children, those mothers and those fathers and those atheists and anything else that you run into for that matter that are under deception of the enemy. He wants us to be so convoluted and have such a clouded testimony that they would look and scoff when they see us and use us as the reason to continue living a godless life because we have so much conflict in our life. They watch everything that we do. I know yesterday that person was watching everything that I did and everything that I said, and I was very conscious of that. The good thing is I didn't have to worry about, oh, I shouldn't say this because he's around uh, because I might ruin my testimony. No, I just keep talking like I've been in the same way that I talk at home because guess what? I don't have to worry about what not or to say because I talk the same way at home as I do at work, the same way that I am here. I don't have to worry about putting on another mask when I go home. And the family, oh, you better put on your home mask now because now you can just do this or do that. And when you go out and those people, you can act that way. And then when you go to church, make sure you put on your Sunday morning. No, that right there is deception. And living a chameleon is nothing more than buying into the tricky trade of the enemy who desires everything about our life to be a conflict so that the world never sees the reflective glory of Jesus Christ lived in us. I hope you found 2 Samuel chapter 1, or sorry, chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And if you're able physically, let's stand out of reverence tonight for the reading of God's word. 
David's, again, assembled all the fit young men in Israel, 30,000. He and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal, Judah. The ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of armies who is enthroned between the cherubim. They set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which is on the hill. Yeza and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart and brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of firwood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Yeza reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, so he named the place Outburst Against Uzzah as it is to this day. Father, thank you for your word tonight. God, again, hide me behind the cross, Father, so that you alone may be glorified. Speak, God. Give us wisdom. Give us insight, conviction, encouragement, challenges, Father, all in accordance with your desire, will, and purpose. We ask this in Jesus' precious, holy, righteous name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now tonight, we're just going to cover the third, really the first three, possibly four verses, but really just this three most notably tonight. But first again, David again assembles at the, the assembled all the fit young men of Israel, 30,000. I'll stop there. First thing that I want to share with you tonight comes out of that right there, and it's this. We can look like we are spiritually ready when we are not. Now, I'm going to unfold this whole entire thing over the next few weeks. I've had more feedback on a message that I preached, I guess it was about 14 years ago. I'll never forget the title of it. Anybody remember it? Out of this scripture. It starts with a C. And it's two words. I'll give you the first word, cart. Anybody? Thank you. Cart builders. Anybody remember the, the, the sermon cart builders that I preached 13, 14 years ago? Well, I've gotten more feedback on that message. Most of the people who are there at that point aren't here tonight. More feedback on that message than any other message I've preached. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when you look at this right here, it appears... <clears throat> That David is wanting to do something extremely good, extremely godly, extremely spiritual, and extremely right at the beginning of this, isn't it? You've got the Israelites had been in bondage. The, the ark had been captured. They were getting it brought back to, the, to God's people and God's land. They're wanting to bring it to, to the motherland, the homeland, Jerusalem, right? And what greater desire could you have than to bring the ark back? Everybody know. Anybody know um, a movie series in America that, is, that revolves, a multiple series, series movie that revolves around the ark? Indiana Jones, church. Anybody know that? That's the actual ark it's talking about in there. The whole entire premise of that movie, right? Remember that? They're going to find it at the end. It's, you know, this, this is the ark this is talking about here. They're, they're referencing it you know, for Hollywood theatrics. This was a powerful instrument to have in the camp. You know what it contained? I'll give one thing. I'll, Stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. Anybody else? Manna? What else? 
the rod that budded. Remember the staff? That's what was in there. If you've ever read in Scripture about, you know, you go through, you know, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judge, you go through the whole thing you got when the ark's built, right? It's, it's pretty profound when you read what went into building it. I mean, you've got this gold and you've got the, the arms, the, the wings of the angels. It's really profound. But there were explicit directions on how the ark was to be handled. There were specific directions on who was to do priestly duties. There were specific directions on not only how the ark was to be built, how it was to be transported, stored, transported is where we're looking at now. And God gave explicit directions and there was absolutely zero mud in the directions, meaning it was crystal clear. It wasn't muddied. It wasn't foggy. God was explicit. That's one of the things that I love about God. He does not love, he hates confusion. Scripture says God is not a God of confusion, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. So what do we know when there's confusion that happens, when we want to start deviating and we start quiet? You know, I wonder if we could do things this, why don't we stop reading the Bible? Let's start doing a Bible study instead of read the Bible because you know it's hard to read the Bible because I just don't understand it. But see, when I read this Bible study by such and such or this and that or who they are, it's just amazing. It just comes to life. Hmm. I guess the Holy Spirit ain't speaking to your heart like he's speaking to mine because I get so much more out of God's word than I ever dreamed of getting out of Bible study. And I've seen plenty of Bible studies and there's some good ones. But that's God's revelation to somebody else, not you and me. And we shouldn't treat it like it's God's revelation to you and I because it's not. It's his to them. Use that as icing on the cake after you have sought God's desire, will, purpose, and as you seek counsel, and as you maybe have a chance to read a little of that Bible study or whatever that you're doing in addition to the majority of yours being Scripture, then the Spirit of God has spoken to you and He uses those other things to tweak what God's saying sometimes. There's nothing wrong with those things. But what happens is we start building carts. Very thing the ark should have never been on. But I bet it was beautiful. I bet that cart was the prettiest thing that you'd ever seen in your life because, listen, look at the worship that's occurring behind the moving of this cart. If you're able to keep this whole story into perspective in your mind, there's this whole entire thing that unfolds here. This jubilant celebration as God is enabling David, leading them to bring the ark back. How awesome, what a beautiful picture of God's redemptive, God's forgiveness, the work of God and all he's doing and, and I'm so excited because let's take and make this magnificent. Let's make this the fireworks show of the year 2000, in a sense. Let's make this epic. Let's make it such an amazing thing. We'll have music. We'll be dancing with all of our might before God. How awesome it's going to be. God will be so happy with us. So we can look like we're spiritually ready when we're not. Because we're good at fooling ourselves first and foremost. We fool ourselves. You know what the sad part is? 99% of the time, we don't fool the people around you. They know what's going on. And I'm not even talking about that country gossip garbage. I'm talking about when you come in and believe you've got the whole world fooled. 
I'll never forget one time I had somebody who told me they'd been delivered from drinking. They'd quit drinking and all that. Well, I come, saw the person one night and literally about knocked me over. And I said, oh, you're not doing well, are you? What are you talking about? I said, I smell it on you. Smell what? I ain't done nothing. Got mad, left, never came back here again. That's okay. It's not my problem, but when you ask me to hold you accountable and I do and you get mad, that's you and God problem. That don't have nothing to do with me. I'm not your daddy and I can't keep any of you from doing anything. Amen? I'm not a cult leader. I don't watch what your phones are. I don't tell you who to marry. I, don't I tell you only what God's word says and how it applies to us and you and you alone will stand before him for it, not me. I stand before you as the shepherd whether I instructed, whether I was faithful in the presentation of the gospel. But listen, don't, act, don't say you want to be accountable. Don't say that you want to live the abundant life in Jesus Christ and when you ask somebody to be a discipleship partner, them to lie to them and play games with them. Don't waste their time. Don't even ask them in the first place if you're not willing to be honest with somebody. Why waste? What are you doing, showboating? Be honest with yourself. If you want to do what you want to do, that's between you and the Lord. You'll stand accountable for it, but don't lie blatantly lie in front of somebody and say you're not doing what is absolutely unequivocally happening because the only person, once again, you're fooling is yourself. And every one of us, every day, our idolatry, whether it's in service to the Lord, whether it's in tithing, you can go around to everybody else. You know, man, I'm so thankful I got to tithe. I was able to drop blah, blah, blah on the plate. Don't say it. You just stole your blessing. God's not going to bless you now. God's not going to give you the reward spiritually in heaven. You just got all you'll ever get. God blesses you with a ton of money and you want to build the school building out here or a gym, a new Sunday school wing. Do what Scripture says. Don't even let your left hand know what your right did. You know why? Because you'll be blessed beyond comprehension and understanding. And people are going to still love you for being the person you are instead of finding out you got a ton of money and then all of a sudden find a real affinity for you and want to be your friend. No longer do you know if they like you because of who you are and what you have has now become the order of the day. See, that's what I love about people here. You can't tell all of us look broke. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. But we're not an uppity. We're not, I've been, listen, I've been in these churches, church. I've been in churches where the upper echelon made it plain and clear that they were the upper echelon. They were money people and they controlled things. You know what? If you came in here and you're a multi-millionaire, listen, church, I'm just going to be honest with you. It's happened. People have come in here and tried to skew me based on finances. And I told them flat out, you're at the wrong place because I don't play that game. I know when I stand before God one day, I'll stand there because I was faithful to the scripture, not to people. Faithful to God's truth and God's word. Praise God, God blesses some people with resources and they're able to be a part of the kingdom work and it's the most incredible thing. And I love the humility when people do it because they love Jesus and they desire to be a part of God's purpose and plan and watch what God's blessed them with be used until it's pride one day out of their dead hands. What does scripture say? He'll bless those people, they got all that money, he will take it from him and says and give it to those who are more righteous than them. That's what he does. God can do anything. <clears throat> he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Amen? God can and will do anything. But see, we've got to watch because cart building is always on the horizon. On every single daily chart of the dangers as a Christian, cart building is one of the top. Idolatry, a.k.a. The tricky trade of the enemy is to try to replace the all-consuming passion for Jehovah and to dwell in his presence with something that 
lessens you, robs you, and steals so that you never experience the fullness of God's desire, plan, and work for your life. You know, Harry Reader uh, was killed two weeks ago, I guess it was. He's a, my childhood pastor. I mention him a lot here. Uh, he had been at a pastor's conference. He'd spoken. He'd spent a lot of the night uh, ministering to pastors individually and helping them with things, praying for them, encouraging them. But he was on his way the morning back. And he was pretty close to being home. He ran to the back of a dump truck full speed and killed him instantly. And it's so exciting because if I remember, Harry was 80 or 81 years old. And I still, I mean, I listen to one of his sermons today. I love the man. I love him until the day he dies. One of the most incredible expositors of scripture. Uh, those of you have I passed that sermon about, uh, about hell that he preached uh, on um, the Apostles' Creed. Uh, when he descended to hell, third day rose again from the dead. If you remember which one I'm talking about, those of you I've sent that to, you were, as myself, incredibly humbled at the depth of insight that Harry brought to that subject. Very, very powerful, powerful, powerful tool of God that I've known uh, since I was um, four years old. Four years old. His faith became sight. He crossed the finish line. He did not grow weary in doing good. He's passed on a faithful ministry that now has been faithfully equipped the teachers, pastors, shepherds, leaders, and thank the Lord that would be able to continue to go because it wasn't built on the man, Harry Reader. The same way that I want Longview Baptist Church not to be known as the, the, the monument to Pastor Jonathan. I don't want that. I, but by God's grace, and I think close, I don't know, one of these days I get them to look it up, and I'm either close or I've already become the longest serving pastor in this nation, this uh, church's history. And more than likely at this time in history, if the Lord was to take me away, the likelihood that someone will exceed that is truly, apart from a divine work of God, most likely not going to happen. Why do I say that? I say that because with whom much been entrusted, much is required. God has entrusted much to Longview Baptist Church. Not only has God entrusted us with the ability to do this building, with us in the workings of potentially having a school next year and all that God wants to do, <clears throat> you know what's so powerful? Not only has God equipped us with all of this, but look what he's doing. He's building the ministry. He's bringing the mission field to us, these houses. It's like God saying, listen, not only am I going to equip you, I'm not only going to grow you, I'm not only going to send the labors, but I'm going to bring the field to you. It doesn't get any better than that. You know when I say, man, you can't, you, I, you can't orchestrate, you can't write what God does. There's no way that we could do in our minds what God's doing because God has it going on. He knows what's going on, and he literally, I, I equate it to a chessboard. Man, God is just right in there and knows every single move that needs to happen, and the same is true with us. And I'm thankful for that. Because what I know is, if I hold steadfast to God's truth and I run from what the enemy's desiring to do, which is to get me involved in his tricky trade, the same he's wanting you to do, what he wants you to do is he wants you to start tomorrow by looking at the lumber to purchase for a cart. He doesn't want you to build it tomorrow. He doesn't want you to go to the store and smell the lumber. He just wants you to get on the app, spiritually speaking. He just wants you to look at what it would cost to build a cart to help God do his job and Wow, God will be so happy with me. No, 
If you look at experiencing God, which is what we're going through in the young adult class right now, you'd see that, first of all, it's not about us deciding to do what we want to do and inviting God to it. It's about us going to where God's at work and involving ourselves as God leads us to the work that he wants to do because that's the only work that matters. It doesn't matter what we want to do. As I experienced yesterday morning, they just moved me to the new hall. I've been on a whole different hall. They stick me on this hall, and the one day they put me on this hall is this person coming in who, and you see how it's so profound what God does. See, God knew I'd be there. God knew what time I needed to start. I could have started that almost two weeks before, but there were a change in administration. There was a two-week delay, and I just happened to be there yesterday when that person was there. You see what I'm saying when I talk about the complexities of God's promise, his purpose, his plan, his desire to use us. And when we're being led by him and we go to where God's at work, God does what only he can do. See, verse two, listen. So he and his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal Judah. The ark bears the name, the Lord, the name of the Lord of armies who is enthroned between the cherubim. Second thing I want to share with you tonight is this. When we want a spiritual revival, make sure it starts with truth. Now, what is truth? Truth is that God doesn't want it on a cart. Truth is that God doesn't want us looking at the lumber. He doesn't want us smelling it. He doesn't want us to find a color for it. He doesn't want us to try to dress up his purpose, plans, and ark, or anything else with what he's already explicitly told us to do. So you want to say, well, I'm going to pray and see if I feel uh, led to, to be a part of visitation. Well, guess what? If you're not, you're in sin. And I don't say just coming when Jim does it. I'm talking about you're supposed to be doing that in your daily life every day. Not because I said it. It's because the Great Commission is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. It's a commandment, and as Brian so beautifully reiterated on Sunday, do you know what I am? I'm the shepherd. Shepherd don't reproduce sheep, church. Sheep do. Did you hear that? I can't tell you the number of times, and there's nobody in here tonight that I remember doing that, that I had people come and say, hey, uh, can you lead them to Christ? I look at them and say, well, God opened this opportunity for you. Why don't you, don't, why won't you do it? I'll take your opportunity. It's a blessing to me. But God gave you the relationship with them so you can lead them to faith in Jesus Christ and experience the blessing of that. One of the most fulfilling things you'll ever do is to know that God used you as the hands and feet of Jesus to lead someone to the foot of the cross and the Spirit of God do a work of God in their heart. Imagine, because I will tell you, it is the most incredibly euphoric feeling you can ever imagine when you know that God used you to transform a life. It is profound. It's life-changing. Then it always breaks my heart when somebody wants me to do it. I say, well, I've, I've talked to people. I've, I've done sermons on it here and given you the Roman road and talked to people in private about it so you know how to do it. It's simple. It's the premise of this. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you shall be saved. But church, there's been a loss of sheep, reproducing sheep. See, we want to skew it. We want deacons to function as elders. We don't have that here. Thank the Lord. I would, never have, I would have been in conflict with that. You know, in the scripture, church deacons are not elders. And elders are not deacons. 
An elder is held to a higher standard than a deacon. You look at the scriptural picture of it. You have ruling elders and teaching elders. It's scriptural. It's biblical. Yet so many places all over the globe. You know what I hear from pastors? Man, we've got the deacons in here. They're trying to control everything. Well, they're first of all, they're straight out of the enemy's territory because that is not biblical. It's ungodly and it's wicked. They are to be the hands and feet. They're workers. They are not the ruling structure, which scripturally you see the clear definition of those two offices. See, it's easy to start building carts. It's easy to say, you know what? If we don't, if we don't get this pastor, you know, we just can't get one, so we'll settle for this. You know, that's a, you know what? I've, you know, I, I'm not going to go into it tonight because I don't want to bring a bad name to anybody around in this, na- in, this, uh, in this association, but church, there's people that have settled and the stories that I know about what happened are just plain sick. Sick. Pastor had never been through background checks. They found out had criminal records. There was a one situation. They found out the pastor wasn't even married to his wife at all. There was no marriage at all. Now, why would you do that? The reason you would want to be legally married is, first of all, the Bible says, unless it's in conflict with the laws of the Lord, you do what you can do to stay in. Amen? Okay? We know the state doesn't tell you you're married. Amen? Amen? Right. It's the biblical picture of what marriage is. It's not the state that tells you you get married. But we do that because it's not in conflict with anything scriptural at all. We've got to be careful because we start building carts. We start smelling lumber. We start looking at stain. We start thinking, God, this is going to be beautiful. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be exciting. God, it's going to be refreshing and it's going to be new and you're going to love it. As God sits back there and says, why don't you follow what I've said and stop trying to make me and anything that I am about into something that I've never wanted to be and that will not bring you a blessing. It'll bring you actually a curse. See, we, we want that spiritual revival, but you better make sure it starts with truth. And that spiritual revival that people often talk about is revival coming to the church, not recognizing, as I mentioned once again, at homecoming Saturday, Sunday, that Revival starts in the hula hoop. It's you. You and you alone is where revival starts. It starts in your home with revival. It starts in your church with revival. It starts in your workplace with revival. It is in the hula hoop where you deal with you first. And by the way, revival is to deal with sin. Confession of sin, repentance, and then God entrusts the revival to go out from there. And by the way, No revival in the history of all living mankind has started with anything other than prayer. Continued, persistent, faithful prayer. And you know how long they lasted? They only lasted as long as the prayer did. When the prayer stopped, the revivals always stopped. So my question to you tonight, Are you praying? That's wonderful. Are you in God's word? Because you can pray all day long. But if you're not in God's word and you're not cleansing the heart, cleansing the mind, cleansing the soul and repentance and seeking God's face and him speaking and you then pouring out your heart, your thoughts and repentance and brokenness and humility and crying out to him on behalf of the lost and behalf of persecuted believers and all the things scripture calls us to pray about. We can think we're 
in the midst of this revival and this beautiful picture of what God wants to do because you've created this euphoric spiritual experience with which you get the warm and fuzzy feeling and do you realize you can do that and be as far away from God as you ever dreamed possible? Because only little is much when God is in it and when God's not in it, it is nothing. It is literally like building on the shifting sand. That's why scripture calls us to build on the solid rock because the solid rock, when the winds blow, when the rains come, the floods, it stands firm. But the house of the sand, it has no base, it has no foundation, and it crashes. It completely and utterly falls apart because it has no foundation. That's why it's so imperative for us as believers to have a solid foundation on truth, recognizing that the tricky trait of the enemy is to try to convince us that truth is not what truth is, and that is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden when the enemy said to Eve, did God really say? All he did was pose the question. That's all he did. And look at the results, the catastrophic implications of believing that there was a level of fulfillment that could be found apart from God's perfect plan and will for Adam and Eve's life. And we're experiencing the ramifications of that one singular decision this very moment. And it is why we preach and teach the truth because truth is the only thing that dispels the lies of Satan, the deceiver, the one who desires to trick, steal, kill, destroy. When Jesus' words are, he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And then we'll finish with this last verse three tonight and then we'll pick up next week again. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which is on the hill. Yuzah and Ohio, the sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart. We'll stop there. Third and final thing I want to share with you tonight is this. Do not change God's plan into what you think it should be. We're going to focus the singular, the, the, the overarching focus of this study over the next few weeks is going to be that cart. But we're going to deal with the attitudes, the actions, and the mindsets to help us understand and kind of weave in how those attitudes slip in with us very good, well-meaning things. Do you think that David and Abed, all of them, do you think that they went there and said, you know what, man, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm going to show God what really needs to happen with this. I'm going to go in here and show God really what's going on. I want to show him how it should have been done versus how it's being done. You think any of them had that mindset? No. I don't think any one of them went out to violate anything and find themselves at conflict, at enmity with God problem is we don't have to have malice of forethought to find ourselves at enmity with God. All we have to do is to be disobedient even if it is not with malice, with forethought, with, with a true desire to go out and break God's desire and will for our life. It doesn't have to be. Same way with, this, with the speed limit. You know that ignorance is no defense in the law, right? Ignorance is no defense. Oh, I didn't know what the speed limit is. That doesn't matter. Any normal person in Bedford County is going to know that on a county street, your speed limit, unless otherwise posted, is going to be 45 miles an hour. Anybody who lives here knows that Lane Parkway is 30 miles an hour. And that right there is straight from the enemy. Amen? Just like North Main Street. We'll call it for what it is. But whether you saw the stop sign or not, my car tells you what the speed limit is on the road. So all I have to do is look down and it knows because it sees the signs I don't see. So I have a greater, but many of you, 
your car, there's no way to know any of that stuff, and you can find yourself, if you have a good car with new tires on it, doing 20 or 30 miles over the speed limit, right? You're enjoying life, and you're having a great time, and next thing you know, they're giving you an award. Light show and all. You did such a good job, they're going to give you a certificate in honor of your beautiful achievement. And about $250 probably, dollars. I don't even know what tickets are these days, but I know one thing, they're not cheap. And if you want a high-dollar light show is what I call it, let the state get you. They will make you literally be like Job and curse the day you were born. Because the last I remembered is about four or 500 bucks for one of those tickets from the state troopers. But listen, you've got nicer uniforms, you've got nicer vehicles, and you've got more lights. So it should be more, amen? Exactly. But it's no excuse when we say, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. That's why God made metal, uh, radar detectors. No, I'm just kidding. They're not illegal here, but I, I'm, you know, and God didn't make them. I'm just saying, though, we, it's easy to get distracted, and it's easy not to know what you should be doing the same way you can find yourself trespassing when you didn't see a trespassing sign. It's still trespassing, isn't it? And just because you thought, I used to think that you were not supposed to change lanes at an intersection. I had been told that my entire life. I had been told that by my grandfather my entire life was against the law to change lanes in an intersection. So one day, I'm in my business years ago in Murfreesboro, I'm headed to a customer's house. I see a man in the other lane. I go to turn right on red, it was legal. Next thing you know, he hits me in the side. And I'm like, well, officer, he, he changed lanes in the intersection. He said, it's not illegal. And I found that out. I thought it was because why I was told that. You know how many people are told by friends that, hey, man, it's not a problem. God understands, man, if you want to get drunk at night and carry on and act up and, and you know, you want to um, uh, get, get a hold of some real heavy pills and do some things you shouldn't be doing that's completely illegal that you know you can go to penitentiary for, but as long as nobody finds out, it's not a big deal. God understands. I know a lot of people that tell Christians that with many things, including having extramarital affairs, and saying, you know, I understand, you, you, you know, God understands, he, he, he wants you to be happy. And by the way, that's ungodly right there. That is not what scripture says. The scripture says the joy of the Lord is my strength. It says he is my rock, my fortress, my strong tower, but God never said, you show me in the word where God says his desire for you to be happy. It's for us to be happy in him. It has nothing to do with us going out and indulging ourselves in a flood of dissipation and believing for a moment that, well, God understands. He made me this way. No, God didn't put a sin nature in us, and don't you dare attribute your sin to God. It's like, you know, if God hadn't tempted, God didn't tempt you, nor does he can't tempt it, nor does he tempt. Scripture says that. We believe Scripture? I do. But see, third and final thing, don't change God's plan into what you think it should be because it's not going to change the, the judgment that will fall down on us. See, Scripture says sin is fun for a season. And you know what's interesting? I'm telling you, it's so wild. Like today, Wednesdays are really diff different for me now because Mondays and Tuesdays when I'm in the hospital or in the, the uh, facility I'm in, you know, it's, it, it was long, but now it's not. It's really fast. And it's like the minute I get there, I'm leaving. And then the weird part is when I wake up on Wednesday morning, I think it's Friday because it's such a long day, those two days that... It's only Wednesday, but it feels like it's Friday. But see, I recognize, and then see, I'm already in July because remember what happened in December this year? This is six months almost to the day later. 
What happened? What, what happened? Listen, I just got here. I just, I was long, I'm Longview's pastor. I'm parking in the spot right here next to Miss Joanne and Brother Bobby. I'm, I'm right next to them the last night that I ever saw him. I'm getting in the car. Miss Joanne just sitting there nice. We were talking and I just made the comment about, good night, are we ever gonna have, are, is she ever wait on you? And he said, when we go shopping, I'm waiting on her. The other times, he said, she's waiting on me. He said, the only time is when they're shopping. That was the last night before he went to receive his eternal award in the kingdom. And it has been like that. I can't even remember all the funerals I've preached. There's been so many here. I actually will go into my computer and I can't even fathom the number of funerals that I've preached. There's been so many. Hadn't been nearly the weddings, but an absolute staggering number of funerals. So what I know is the brevity of life the fleeting nature with which life is, and I realize this danger for us, this danger of the cart building, this danger of these tricks, the enemy's desire tonight is to hone his skills and refine them. He's been doing this for seven plus thousand years, church. He is really good at what he does. I'm not trying to give him any credit, but what I'm telling you is we have to do what scripture says and to armor ourselves up. We have to build ramparts. We've gotta be the spiritual bulwark around our homes in prayer. We have to pray without ceasing. We have to keep a checkup from the neck up continually because he stalks us just like a lion does in Africa. If you've ever watched how they hunt, it is unreal how they hunt. They're so calculated and they wait and they watch and they wait for you not to be praying, spiritually speaking, now as we transition. He wants you when you've not read God's word that day because you slept in, you were busy, something happened, you had to go, you forgot about the meeting, and you didn't have time to read, I'll get it tomorrow. And then tomorrow something happens and he finds out that that's a really good trick with you because you get busy. And if he can keep you busy, then he prevents you from doing the blessing of living in that plan, that purpose, that will. And by the way, it's like a snowball. It just continues to compound. And my question tonight to you is, step back as we're doing the study and do a reflective, introspective, God, is there anything in my life? Am I preparing a cart? Am I, start, am I building one? Do I have one? God, right now, the Levites are supposed to be carrying that ark on their shoulders. That was God's picture. We'll, we'll go into that more in the next couple weeks. God's picture for them was his plan, purpose, will, and it's not what they thought. It was what God said. Tonight, is there anything that you know and maybe something that God needs to reveal to you tonight because maybe you've been cart building on purpose, accidentally. There's so many different ways we can do it, but they, listen, the thing about it is it all ends the same way. It ends in hurt. It ends in heartache. It ends in pain because what it also ultimately is Ready? What is as the sin of divination? Witchcraft. What does scripture say? What's, what sin is as the sin of divination? Rebellion. Scripture says rebellion is as the sin of divination, as witchcraft. That's what the Bible says, not my words, God's. So when you're in rebellion, and rebellion is this here, cart building. Whether you believe it or not, it's overt rebellion. It's not what God said. And anything other than adherence to what God's commanded us to do is rebellion. Rebels. And when we're rebelling against God, it is as the sin of divination, witchcraft, and it's not good. It's bad. 
It will not bring blessing. It will not bring peace. It will not bring joy, fulfillment. It will bring pain. So pray, God, is there anything in my life? God, I want to go through this series. I want to start tonight, and I want, it to be, I want fresh slate, Lord. I realize what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to steal everything that you've desired for me. Everything that I've always wanted in my life spiritually, Father, everything that I've always wanted in my relationship with you, the enemy desires to completely undo all of it. Lord, I don't know what I have to do tonight, but God, I lay this out, and you just pray it and get it out before him. Remember these family members that you're praying for. I hope any of you here tonight keep doing this. God's moving in situations. I, uh, I even had a com- conversation at breakfast this morning with somebody about it who's been part of it and sharing how powerful it is and how awesome it's going to be to see victory being gotten in these but also the enemy is going to want us to grow weary in doing good, right? That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to go, you know, I've gone up there enough. God, you know, I'm going to just pray here because I'm tired or whatever else. No, don't rebuke that. Reject it because as Christ Jesus never gives up, you don't give up and you go in God's presence and you don't give up. Those people mean everything. God created them and they have just as much of a right to know Jesus as you do. And you've got to be faithful in prayer until the day that they come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. I don't care if we, we literally wear a hole in the floor there. I, I, I hope we pray them into the kingdom as we're falling into the basement because I know God answers prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, And today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life. First, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin, Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you want to live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.